Welcome to Grace on the Go. This podcast is designed so that you can take grace with you anywhere you go. This episode is a sermon from Sunday, December 18th, 2022 called, and he will be called Prince of Peace, given by Pastor Jonathan Dinger. The scripture passage highlighted for today's sermon comes from the book of Ephesians, chapter 2, verses 13 and 14. But now in Christ Jesus, you who were once far away have been brought near through the blood of Christ, for he himself is our peace, who has made the two one and has destroyed the barrier, the dividing wall of hostility. Well, God's grace and his mercy and his peace are yours in Jesus Christ, our Savior, the Prince of Peace. That's our focus here. So um, in our school auction um, over the years, we've had a couple of neat items, interesting items, and they have kind of waxed and waned. Let me have those. I'm afraid my batteries may go out while I'm talking. So... And I mean that both metaphorically and literally. So, um, the uh, but a couple of neat items, and they sometimes they've been real popular and gone for a lot of money, and sometimes not. It's a like principle of the day, or and then sometimes the mayor of Pocatello has done mayor of the day and offered that, and you know, so a kid, a student gets to be that mayor of the day. So several times, one time I was actually in the mayor's office, and and it happened to be the day where our student was mayor of the day and he sat in for a little bit on a meeting that I had with him and so forth and then did some other things and you know here at school we see it happen often you know so whether it be executive director with you know Mr. Rashke or Mrs. Pope's principal whatever and you know it's it's an interesting thing it's uh you know you go get coffee and you might bring a donut to a teacher or you you know you kind of visit a classroom and you know it's a really accurate picture of what it means to be the principal you think? No, same with the mayor, right? You'll do a ceremonial thing. You know, you help lead the Pledge of Allegiance at something. Or, you know, you might be introduced at a game. Or, you know, there's something like that. You just kind of wander around and shadow them a little bit. And then you try to make it a really fun experience. And it's really kind of powerful. Maybe you get to do a fire alarm. You know, there you go. But, of course, you know, that kid doesn't, uh, you know, um, they don't get those items so that you can clean up the, the vomit in the ECC for the fourth time in a day or try to cover the six teachers who all came down sick with the flu and try to find substitutes for all of them or make sure that you're here at six o'clock so that the sidewalks are cleared of snow and are safe for people to come in and answer the the fire you know the fire alarm when it actually does get tripped and you're here at two in the morning and on and on and on or a conflict or you know, you don't really get the picture, do you? So, off, so sometimes we kind of fabricate those situations, in, and, and yet we, and we call them this. It's kind of like, oh, if I was only king for a day, right? If I was only prince for a day. Or what about like Jim Carrey when he played the role of God in Bruce Almighty? And he was uh, he, like, you know, gosh, I get to be God. You know, I could do anything, you know. And then he sees the email prayer requests. You remember that scene in this movie? So he gets all the prayer requests, and they come by email, and it's just millions upon millions, and it just streams into it. He's like, I can't answer all of these. Do you remember what he does? Yes to all. Right? Yes to every prayer request. Not thinking for even a moment what that might mean. Because like, just like when we say, if I could just be king for the day, I could just do what I want, or I could just make this happen, this thing that I think should always happen, you know, I'll make everyone drive an electric vehicle, you know, if you want to do one, or I'll deny electric vehicles to everyone, whatever side of the spectrum you're on, and so forth, and then not thinking for a second of what that actually means, and how that impacts real people 
in real ways. People seek power, people seek position, but don't have a clue. And so sometimes we, we get this image. And so we've talked about this often when we talk here in this place, and I love to talk about it, how we have a king like no other in Jesus Christ. Well, here today we have a prince like no other. There are princes who want to be, or princesses, right? Who want to be princess for a day or prince just so I can call the shots, just so I can be in charge. They think, but, it, what, but what does it truly mean? to be the prince then of peace. And so I, this text in Ephesians, and we can read the ones, you know, we have it in, in Isaiah because he's talking about war. And I want to make sure I make a correction. I must have written that wrong. Sorry, Lane, for that intro on Micah. Uh, the prophet Micah actually has knowledge of the coming fall of Jerusalem because of the Assyrians. He watched the fall of Israel, northern kingdom, but he wasn't alive for like 160 years. So he... But he, he saw the Assyrians come and attack Jerusalem. So Micah gives us that picture of a country in turmoil. Northern kingdom, civil war, ten tribes destroyed. He can see the coming threat from Assyria and the threat. And God telling him, warn the people. The nation will be destroyed. The temple will be destroyed. The people will go into exile. Imagine the anxiety and the turmoil of what's going on. And then he concludes it with the promise of Messiah... From Bethlehem. That's, this is the promise of Messiah being born in Bethlehem. And that he will be our peace. And that's an interesting way to say it, isn't it? It's one of the points in the sermon. Not he will sign a peace treaty. He will be our peace. What does that mean? So I want to talk about that with you a little bit. And here's the heart of what I want to share with you. Because Paul talks about it in his letter to this church in Turkey in Ephesus the early church, and it was a mix of Gentiles and Jews, and they had stresses. They were in turmoil. How do we get along? How Jewish do you have to be? There was racism. There was culture conflict. There was, sound familiar? There were challenges in assimilating and incorporating these people into a body that was unified and that cared about one another. And the theme of this that Paul then reminds them is that God brought peace. How is peace truly brought? It's brought through the forgiveness of sins. It's that simple. Peace happens with the forgiveness of sins. I mean, we hear these chants in the streets, no justice, no peace, you know, no, that, that chant. And the real chant should be no forgiveness, no peace. If there's no forgiveness, there's no peace. Certainly not with God. And so I want to unpack that with us a little bit because, you know, in our culture... You, have you heard apologies like this? Usually they're from famous people and sports figures and political people and captains of industry. Remember how they go? Here's how they start. Don't they all start this way? If I offended anyone by the things I said or did, I'm really sorry. Sound like an apology to you? That's the farthest thing from an apology. Let's translate that into real language. If you're such a troglodyte and a jerk and you're so over highly sensitive that you took offense at what I said or did, well, you're a sorry sort. I'm not sorry for you. I'm thinking you're sorry. I mean, it's a joke of, an, of a confession. Don't you long for this from somebody who says, I blew it. I thought I had it. I blew it. It's all on me. There's no one else to blame. I really screwed up royally. 
I thought I had it right, and I, was, I ended up taking advantage of people. I'm going to ask for your forgiveness, but I don't deserve it. But I'm really sorry for what I did. When's the last time you heard that one? Ever? Maybe. I mean, maybe. I'm being a little facetious here. But isn't it stunning how dominate? And think about it. In the first apology, so-called apology, is there any peace out of that? If you're offended by what I said, I'm not really sorry you are. That one. Good one? There's no peace there. That, that, uh, that adds to the turmoil. There's no resolution there. There's no restoration there. So what I'm telling you is our focus today on this fourth Sunday of Advent is here comes the Prince of Peace. Thanks be to God. Thank God we have a Prince of Peace, and this is what he's about. First point, first point. Oh, have you ever seen the show Undercover Boss? Have you ever seen that one? It was a British show. started in England. It was a real popular show where the boss, the CEO, the owner was kind of sent to, in order to be on the show, you kind of went down into the, the first level of employees. It might be the custodian. It might be a person, a line cook. It might be a, a bus boy. It might be a garbage man or whatever. But the, the boss, the highest, the top person went down and kind of did a job with the, with the peons, those, all the rest of us, right? You know, that kind of thing. And then what did they learn? And their eyes were just opened usually most, most of the time. They gained a greater sensitivity, a greater respect for what they did. They really gained some knowledge. And often it led to improvements, improved policies, better communication. and th- Not always. It didn't always go well. But really what they ended up finding was things they didn't know. But you know what's funny is, to be on the show, none of them chose this. To be on the show, you had to be told to do it. It wasn't like the TV show went out and found people who did this. Nobody was doing this except our Savior. The boss doesn't of their own volition, not very often, it's not very common, it's not very typical, goes down and lives with the guys who if they miss a paycheck, they don't pay the mortgage. If they miss a paycheck, the car payment doesn't happen. Or they might not get to, get to have um, three meals that day. That's that level. They had to be told to do it. Jesus, our Prince of Peace, doesn't have to be told to do it. He comes to us. Here's how Paul says it. He's writing to that church in Turkey that's disunified. But now in Christ Jesus, you who once were far away were, have been brought near through the blood of Christ. You've been brought near. He came to you. And so in other words, what he's talking about, there's a Gentile group who are being told, you're not Jewish enough. You need to be more holy, more righteous. You need to be more Jewish. And then there's a Jewish group that were being snooty McSnoot, right? They were saying, hey, you're not us. We're the ones who have this. And there was this disunity. And what he's saying is, wait a minute, this conflict, this peace is a problem. He's coming to you. This is, what, uh, this is really kind of an astonishing thing. And he considers us family. Now, I've made this point with you before in this text. I do it all the time in the Life in Christ class. But it, I'm reminded of, Chris said something last week that, touched, that was very powerful for me. He used the illustration with Everlasting Father, where he said, you know, it's, it's, he's talking about Caleb calling him Chris. And said, no, his, you really, you call me daddy. And the thing that, that struck me that really moved me was, you know, it's not, 
It would be nice to think that I would die for everyone who called me Jonathan. But I will absolutely die for those who call me Daddy, right? I'll die for those who call me Father. That, that was powerful to me. And that's what Christ has declared. By the blood of Christ, he's brought us near. You shed blood for your family. You'll take the bullet for your family. You'll step in front of the bus for your family. And that's what Jesus considers you. And here's the miracle of it. Before you ever called him daddy. That's the miracle of it. We think of it as reciprocal. If you call me daddy, I'll die for you. He died for us long before we ever called him everlasting father. Mighty God, wonderful counselor, prince of peace. That's a, that's a, that's a beautiful thought. And so I'm thankful in that case, this is, the, this is how the Prince of Peace works. He comes to us. He bends low. No other faith system on the planet has this model. Every other faith system has you. The command is this. Get your act together that you might be more godly and God might then show his favor to you. Be more generous. Do more good works. Come to church more often. Give your life over. Whatever it is. And instead, the opposite is true for us. Where God saw us as such a hot mess, he said, I got to go down there. And he comes to us and gets us, already considering us of such great value as if we are already members of his family. The second poison I want to do in this, for he himself is our peace, who has made the two one and has destroyed the barrier, the dividing wall of hostility, I to tell you a story about a, a, a friend of mine. He was a member of mine. He's now in glory. His name is Don Kilby, and it was in Portland. And uh, we were out on the west side of Portland. He had a little hobby farm, and he didn't take care of it. And there he had a shed that was just torn down. So we put a group of people together to help tear down the shed and put a new metal shed out there for the chickens and the couple of goats he had. But he had served in World War II, and he was an absolutely raw recruit and, he, they, and there was a lot of raw recruits who stormed the beaches of Normandy. Are you familiar with this history? When we had built up all our forces in England to finally make that assault to relieve Europe of, Nazi, of the Nazi rule. And it was a, it, it arguably one of the greatest military endeavors of, of all time to overcome that. When the enemy was entrenched, and so we had to recruit millions, you know, literally millions, the allied forces from around the world. And our guys were pretty raw, a lot of raw guys. We'd been in the war a couple of years, um, but a lot of the recruits that were there. So there were some guys who had seen a lot of action. But Don, we were tearing down and saying, he didn't talk about it a lot, but he was a kid, just a kid. I think he was 19. And there he was in a transport, and they had trained him, trained him fast. They hadn't seen action, This his unit. And the guy who was their commander... Uh, was, was all of a sudden discharged and they're on the transport as they're loading the transport they get a new commanding officer of their platoon or their unit I don't know, forgive me military people, forgive me I, I mean no disrespect but of their unit so they're on this transport and they're going across the channel and they're heaving and it's just horrible it's just it's terrible and, this, and the thing that was interesting is as soon as this new commanding officer came into their midst because he had seen two years of hard action. He had volunteered for allies before the U.S. even came in and then served for two years with the U.S. military and seen all kinds of difficult, difficult uh, action in North Africa and so forth. 
And so it was, in a, it was a very, very interesting moment when he walks into these, fresh, these, these, these boys, these kids, who are terrified and filled with anxiety and, 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 and fear. And he walks into their midst and begins talking. And Don told me, he said, complete peace just came over the whole boat, across the whole unit. He'd been there. He'd done it. And here's the reason why I tell you this illustration. He was the peace. Because nothing changed except he walked into the, into the group and began telling them, I've been there. We've done it. You're here for a reason. So this is the cause we're after. We're going to do it together. There was peace when he came. There was turmoil when he was not. I had a, I had a dear friend, a pastor in Seattle, when I was brand new, my first job was raising money for a Lutheran high school. Lutheran high schools are a thing. You have to keep it in your prayers. They're harder the older the kids get. It's harder financially and infrastructure. It's harder. And so as you, the, the older kids get, it's just harder. And so keep that in your prayers. We're blessed to have a really solid high school and so forth. But that high school in Seattle no longer exists today. Anyway, we, and we had 220 kids when I was there. And so we... We're raising money and stuff, and there was a time, I was 26 years old raising money for this school, and there was a time where I, I'm coming and I said, I, we are not, I, there's no money to pay our teachers. There just is no money. And I, you know, and there was talk about, do we close? Do we fire a bunch of people? What do we do? Do we take a kind of a sabbatical? And it, the room was full of turmoil. And Pastor Para walked in the room and just and simply greeted everyone, and the peace came on over the room. It's like, this is God's school. He's got us in his hand. He has a purpose for this. You know, what changed? Nothing changed, except he came in the room. Friends, your circumstances may be difficult. You may be going through anxious times, uncertain what the future holds, uncertain what today or tomorrow may hold. Let Jesus walk in the room. He's here now. His promise and his presence is in our midst. The Prince of Peace is our peace because when he's present, regardless of our circumstances, he already stands at the future and he already holds you tightly in his grip. We watched a Christmas story uh, from The Chosen, um, kind of this Christmas special that they did. Very powerful. It was really neat to see. It's really a moving, moving thing. And as I'm watching it, and, and it was weird. I was very tired yesterday. My wife said, oh, you're kind of on the edge because I'm sitting there sobbing watching this thing. Because as the baby is born to these peasants in a stable, he's shoveling away manure to clear a place for the king of kings to be born. And I'm sitting there going, how can my circumstances of my birth have been so more glorious than the Lord of Lords? How can that be? Because you see, he comes to us. Because he wants to make the two one. Did you see those? Uh, go to, back to two. Go back to two, if you would, Ty. For he himself, who has made the two one, how has he done that? Not, we didn't become godlike. He became human. Fully human. That's how he made the two one. He became us without sin and then took us to be with him. 
And we're still on that journey, aren't we? Third point. Now we can go on. The third one. By abolishing in his flesh the law with its commandments and regulations. I want to talk a little bit about forgiveness. This prince gave himself to bring peace. So I, de- I use this illustration in my life in Christ class. In, in, I was, this last week, with all the snow and the ice in the parking lot, more than once I've had someone say, hey, Pastor Dinger, where you're parked, that's a dangerous place to park. Because as, if, as the parents come down dropping off their kids and they come ripping around that corner, whew, you know, they could just kind of slip around that corner and go bash right into your truck. So I go move my vehicle, you know, and that kind of thing. And thankfully nothing's ever happened. But what if it did? swings around, and let's say it's a dad, he's a single dad, he's got a couple kids in school, he's doing everything he can to keep those kids in school. We've given him all the tuition help that we can possibly do. Bashes into my car, he says, I don't have insurance. It's going to take me a while, it might take me a couple years to pay you back, I'm so sorry. And I say, I forgive you. Right? Great, right? What do I have to do? I have to pay to get the car fixed. If I, if I say I forgive you, I pay to fix the car, right? In other words, when you say to somebody who did that, I forgive you, but you still owe me five grand. You with me? It's not, it's not really forgiveness. When we forgive someone, we say I'll assume the penalty. I'll assume the payment. So I want to give you a little bit, this is just a little pastoral moment for you. A lot of times we have times when people hurt us or offend us. We have the great privilege of saying, I forgive you. Please know that means you take, you pay. Right? You don't bring it up again. You don't dig that out again. You don't call them on it in the future. You pay. And you can. And in fact, in our Lord's Prayer, that's what we say, don't we? Forgive us our sins as we forgive those who sin against us. Just as we would love to be forgiven... So, because we've been forgiven, we have the privilege of forgiving. Correct? Right? With me? That's how Christ gives us that privilege. But sometimes people go along and say, well, can you forgive the Nazis? You know, can you forgive the Ku Klux Klan? Can you forgive, you know, whatever. Right? And I go, you know what? I can forgive the person who's interacting with me. And I must. I'm called to do that. I need to. Because Christ has forgiven me so much. i got to leave that one up to God. That one I'm going to leave in God's hands. doesn't mean that I condemn or I hold a grudge or things like that. But I'm not in the position to do it because I can't pay. Do you get what I'm saying? I can't pay that one. Only Christ can pay that one. That doesn't mean that I think God doesn't forgive. But I think it's in God's hands. And so to put you in some dilemma that says somehow you've got to forgive all the racism that's ever happened in all the world or something, well, good luck with that. But Christ can because he's our peace, because he is the prince of peace, because he gives himself to bring peace. Last thing. Well, and let me say this. so that you, I want to make sure you get a word of, of real encouragement here. True forgiveness pays... You've been paid for. You've been paid for. Fourth thing. Did you see the news on the TSA? They're doing facial recognition now. 
And they, they're, they're kind of announced this new technology and their hope is within the matter of time, the next few years, that all your stuff in airports will be facial recognition, right? You don't have to show ID. You don't have to, it's just facial recognition. And I'm, I'm listening to this and I'm going, haven't any of you watched Mission Impossible? You know, really? I'll just go out and buy me a fake face, you know, or, you know, steal somebody's eyeball, right, from some gross, creepy spy movie so I can have a retinal scan, you know, or whatever. <coughs> Don't you watch those things? Can't we? And the thing that's interesting is, it's a, and, and whatever, I'm not really talking about that so much, but I think about, because we do that, don't we? We, to be recognized, like for instance, in Galatians chapter 3, it even says this in scripture, and it's a great promise. All of you, right, uh, aren't, don't you know that you are sons and daughters of God? You are all children of God. Those of you that have been baptized into Christ have been clothed with Christ. So isn't it a wonderful biblical Christian principle that when we stand before God, God sees the garments of Christ on us in our baptism, therefore not seeing us in our sins, our stains, but rather sees Christ's perfection. Isn't that right? Here's the interesting thing for me. I'm, I wanna, I, as I thought about it this week, I want to change that analogy a little bit. So at, at 8.30, I wear robes. We wear robes. And you'll see us probably on Christmas wearing robes and stuff like that. And a robe is a kind of a weird thing because you wear a rope and you have vests and you have stole and stuff. And it gets crooked and like this. And, the, the, you know, and I, so I always go to my wife before I come out and I go, do I look like a lump of potato, like a sack of potatoes? Right, so fix them, fix the pleats and the things, make sure it's not creased or it's too, just so it's not distracting, just so it doesn't look weird. Because you'll see a pastor with a stole and it's all crooked and you're doing this the whole time. You know, please fix that, please fix that. (laughs) So here's what I think. I am so blessed and so grateful that when God looks at me in my baptism, I have the garments of Christ on. But I will say I probably look like a sack of potatoes. It is the garments of Christ. But what God is longing for is he wants us to fit the clothes. I'm excited about that. What a joy that God would love me so much that he says, I want you to fit the clothes. So I'm going to put my garments on you so that you have all my grace and all the forgiveness. But we're going to have you fit the clothes. And that's where as we work our faith, we exercise our faith, we live that out. And we start to fit the garments of Christ. Because what God is doing is not simply putting a mask on us or a piece of clothing. But he is making us new people. His purpose was to create in himself one new man out of the two. And look at this. Peace is not passive. Listen to these verbs. Thus making peace. And in this one body... To reconcile, active word, both of them to God through the cross, another action word, by which he put to death their hostility. Peace is something God worked for. He gave everything for. And it's the appropriate culmination, who is wonderful counselor, mighty God, everlasting father, the prince of peace. So here are these words again from Henry Wadsworth, Longfellow. Then pealed the bells more, loud and deep. God is not dead, nor doth he sleep. The wrong shall fail, the right prevail. With peace on earth, goodwill to all. Amen. If you have any questions or comments, email them to podcast at gracepocatello.org. 
and make sure to subscribe to our channel to stay up to date on sermons and classes at Grace Lutheran Church in Pocatello, Idaho. This podcast is designed so that you can take grace with you anywhere you go. Mm-hmm.